We are constantly telling certain stories about what life is like for us, you know, how we respond to life, all of these narratives. And we then raise our children, our nieces and nephews, the young people in our lives based on these stories and based on our worldview. And so if you have trauma that you haven't worked through and shifted those stories to no longer include that trauma from a place of being a victim, you're very likely to then teach you know, your children or again, whoever, the young people in your life that you are helping to raise, you're likely to teach them from that traumatized worldview. To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. This is Spiritually Ever After, the place where Disney meets wellness and spirituality. I'm your host, Kitty Packman, spiritual mentor, licensed therapist, and major Disney person. This is the place where the magic of spirituality, self-awareness, and personal development meets the magic of Disney. You are safe to be your full magical self here. Now let's dive in. Welcome back to Spiritually Ever After. I am your host, Kitty Packman, and I'm so happy to have you here for a special episode looking at childhood trauma in Disney animated movies. So truthfully, I was going to make this episode the last of season one, and then I got the nudge to do this episode right away. <laughs> so when that happens, I know I have to listen. And I will say that there are definitely going to be some spoilers in this one. We're going to look at the top 10 Disney animated characters with, in my opinion, the most childhood trauma. And I want to start by just giving you a little bit of an overview on trauma in general. For those who are new to the podcast, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And for many years, I specialized in trauma work. I worked with a bunch of different populations that were highly traumatized. And I have spent a lot of time studying trauma, a lot of time teaching on trauma. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about because so many of us have been misinformed when it comes to trauma. And we often think that it's something that only some people have. And realistically, we all have trauma of some of some sort. So the way that I like to describe trauma is any experience where you, your body, or your mind feel like you may not survive. One of my favorite quotes on this is from Dr. Robert Scare, who said, trauma is defined as any negative life event that occurs in a position of relative helplessness. So what's really key there is that relative helplessness and so as you can imagine, for children, I think all of childhood is pretty much a state of relative helplessness. And so small things that happen in childhood that maybe would not be traumatizing if they happened when we were older can be really, really traumatizing when we're young. And a lot of people in this field like to talk about big T and little t trauma. And so big T traumas are the traumas that you tend to think about when you hear the word trauma. So, you know, major life disasters, rape, sexual assault, abuse, the big events, right? A major car crash. Those little T traumas are those life experiences that many of us have gone through, but because they occur in a position of relative helplessness, they end up actually being experienced as trauma, quite similar to those big T traumas. And what can be really challenging about this is that the person next to you maybe will go through the same experience, but not actually experience it as trauma. And so especially within the family system, what can happen is that one sibling 
may be totally fine, may have gone through an experience and felt like, you know, this wasn't so bad and move on with their life. Whereas the next sibling who went through the same experience might be really traumatized from it. And so again, as a family therapist, it's one of my favorite things to look at and talk about is the way that trauma affects these systems, not just the family system, but specifically in this episode, we're going to talk about that because in these family systems, that's really where we learn to understand the world. We learn to understand ourselves, and we form that worldview that then really influences the rest of our life. And we're not going to talk too much about generational or ancestral trauma today, but just so that you're aware of this and so you understand kind of how trauma works and these patterns of trauma can affect families long term, is that if someone does not do the work to be able to really look at, process, and heal their trauma in this lifetime, they often then pass it down to the people underneath them. So whether it's their children, whether if they're not having children, maybe it's nieces, nephews, just younger people in their lives, cousins even. But this is how we see that generational or ancestral trauma happen is that the trauma doesn't get healed. And so it then continues to manifest sometimes in new ways, sometimes in the exact same ways, but over and over again down the familial line until it's healed. Other thing that I want to mention, because we're going to be definitely talking about this today in this episode, is the ACEs or Adverse Childhood Experiences study. And so essentially what this is, is a research study that was done that shows that adverse childhood experiences, so childhood traumatic experiences, are a major indicator for many long-term health and behavioral issues. So basically, the more ACEs that you have, the greater the risk for you. And you can think about ACEs in primarily three categories. So abuse, neglect, and then household dysfunction. So I'm not going to go into what every single one of the ACEs are in the questionnaire. If you Google it, they're pretty easy to find. It's ACE. Um, but just so that you're aware of this as we're going through today, if you're wondering where I'm getting all this information from, I am loosely basing this off of ACEs. So now let's dive into the 10 Disney animated movies with the most childhood trauma. And again, definitely spoilers. So if you haven't watched some of these movies, pause this, go watch the movie. They're all on Disney Plus and then come back and listen. And, and again, we're not going to be talking about ancestral trauma in these examples, even though there are some really good movies that speak to this, specifically Coco, Encanto, a bunch of the newer ones. So we may end up doing another episode on that. Um, but specifically, I'm not going to be focusing on that today because like, for example, in Coco, it speaks a lot to the ancestral trauma and how it's affected the family. But our protagonist has not necessarily experienced a lot of that trauma firsthand. All right, so the first one on our list, I'm going chronologically, so it's one of the oldest. It is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, came out in 1937, and Snow White loses her mother, loses her father, has a huntsman trying to murder her, then becomes homeless, and then is poisoned by her stepmother slash the evil queen. So... To me, that gives Snow White an ACEs score of five. That is very high in the real world. Anything, honestly, they usually say anything above a one. If you have even just one ACE, ACE, ACE um, you will probably have some sort of effects in your life. And so for Snow White to have an ACEs score of five is very, very high. Except you're going to see on this list that there are a lot of characters that have a really high ACEs score. Something that I'll say too here is that 
I don't know about you, but I know definitely I often hear people talking about how much trauma is shown in Disney movies and how, you know, how is this appropriate to see everyone losing their mom and going through all of this? And that was really one of the motivating factors to wanting to look at this was to say, sort of similar to my episode for Women's History Month about whether Disney women are, you know, passive and traditionalists, is to look at this narrative of, is there a lot of childhood trauma shown in Disney movies, as well as how does Disney talk about this trauma and does it show these characters as being resilient or does it show these characters as you know having their life ruined because of this trauma for Snow White having an aces score of five the fact that she doesn't necessarily have a ton of behavioral you know or mental health issues or anything like that and obviously gets a happily ever after at the end I would say she is pretty resilient and doing pretty well given the fact that with a aces score of five in the real world she would likely be looking at a whole host of problems. All right, next on our list is Pinocchio. This movie came out in 1940. Again, we got a ton of drama here. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, it's pretty messed up. And a lot of this probably would not happen if they were remaking this movie today. But so we started off with Pinocchio only has one parent and it's not his biological parent. Obviously, P Pinocchio is not even a real human right in the beginning. He gets kidnapped by Stromboli, but then escapes. <laughs> he gets manipulated into going to Pleasure, Pleasure Island and is exposed to smoking, to drinking, and basically to labor trafficking. Um, and then his father, Geppetto, gets swallowed by Monstro the Whale, and Pinocchio has to get swallowed to save him. And then Pinocchio actually sacrifices his life in order to save Geppetto. So all of that for me adds up to an ACES score of seven, definitely one of the highest on our list, but sadly not number one, <laughs> pretty crazy. Again, in the real world, that would, you would be looking at a lot of uh, significant issues probably in your life with an ACES score of seven. All right. Next on our list is Bambi. It came out in 1942. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is the one that when people talk about how traumatic Disney movies can be at times. This is often the one that people reference, or at least I know that's been my experience. Right off the bat, Bambi has no relationship with his father, other than sort of knowing that he's the great prince of the forest, or I guess he knows of that he's the great prince of the forest, but doesn't know he's his father at first. He is taught to live in constant fear of hunters that they call man. And so if you know about the effects that trauma has on the body and being in that constant state of fear essentially means that you're in a constant state of elevated cortisol levels, which wreaks havoc on your body in so many different ways, physiologically, mentally, emotionally, everything. Bambi is separated from his mother and is almost killed by man early on. And then man does kill his his mother. Um, and, then Bambi has to fight another deer for the right to Phalene's love. Then there's a forest fire. His home gets destroyed. Um, and then Bambi gets shot, but somehow survives. And then the movie ends with Bambi becoming a father. <laughs> so talk about generational trauma, right? Bambi has an ACEs score of eight. Poor Bambi is uh, really, really struggling, but obviously not so much if he got what he wanted in the end. But again, in the real world, an ACEs score of eight is extremely high. Next on our list is Cinderella. This came out in 1950. Cinderella lost her mother, lost her father, like so many of our princesses, especially the, the old school ones. 
She is living in a state of emotional, physical, and social neglect by her stepmother and her stepsisters. She is forced to do all this labor around the house for very little reward and is constantly subject to verbal abuse. So Cinderella, also not doing so well, Cinderella has an ACEs score of seven. We then make a big jump going to 1991 when Beauty and the Beast came out. Um, again, I know I have to do an episode really truly diving into Beauty and the Beast because there is just so much to unpack here. And it is one of my favorites, but it is a messed up movie <laughs> to its core. So starts out with Belle, you know, no longer having her mother. So she's got the loss of her mother. Sort of some social neglect from her father. Not that he wouldn't give her the socialization that she would desire if he could. But I think just, in my opinion, he's probably got some mental health stuff going on and is just not able to create an environment that's really conducive for raising a child. Then her father goes missing. She goes out to find him and takes his place as, you know, being captive. And she thinks she's going to have to live in this dungeon. Obviously, then the bees moves her, but still, she's still captive, <laughs> Right. I know we always talk about Stockholm syndrome here. Um, she then tries to escape and is almost eaten by wolves. And then at the end, she watches the beast die. And obviously, you know, she's able to save him with her love. But still, she just watched the man that or the beast that she loves die. So Belle also has an ACEs score of seven. Next on our list is The Lion King. This movie came out in 1994. Again, another one that I have talked about somewhat extensively on here. Obviously one of my all-time favorites, but also really messed up. <laughs> we see a lot of really traumatic situations in this one, and poor young Simba goes through a lot. It's interesting because Simba has some big T trauma here, right? And... We see, though, that up until the scene with the stampede, Simba had had a relatively healthy upbringing, a really good relationship with his dad and his mom. And so it's only when this stampede happens, his dad is murdered and he is made to think that he did it and runs away, that all happens at once, right? So again, that conversation of little T trauma versus big T trauma, some of these others, like for example, Cinderella's neglect and abuse over time might seem like little T traumas, right? Like, you know, how much of a difference does that one little comment make, but they kind of compound over time. Whereas for Simba, we see in that one scene, this is a big T trauma. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're young, old, if you are a lion or a human, if you barely survived a stampede, found your father had been murdered, and then you thought that it was your fault and you had to run away from everything that you knew. Yeah, that's big T trauma. <laughs> so all of that adds up to only an ACEs score of four, which I think is really key in understanding this, right? Is that sometimes having a lot of little T trauma can be just as, if not more impactful in your life than having one or two big T traumas. All right, so next up, we are moving into Toy Story 2. This movie came out in 1999. I honestly don't even know if I'm including this for Jesse's trauma or my own because it is really just one scene. It is that horribly sad song, When She Loved Me. And we see this whole montage of Jesse feeling loved and then being abandoned and experiencing emotional neglect and abuse and homelessness, right? Again, as, as a toy, we don't necessarily think about 
toys experiencing homelessness, but she's left out in a box on the street. So Jessie has an ACES score of three, but I almost feel personally victimized by this song and this movie. And I feel like it has affected my own trauma. So I just had to include it there. <laughs> All right. So next on the list is Finding Nemo. This one came out in 2003. This is another one that I think a lot of people reference when they talk about family trauma and, you know, why maybe Disney movies aren't the best for young kids to watch. So early, early on, first scene, we see Nemo loses his mother and loses all of his siblings. All of them are killed except for him. He's the only one that survives. And he survives but is injured and grows up with a disabled fin. So in my opinion, I have to definitely look back and I would love to probably do an episode on this as well. But from what I know, he's one of the first characters that we see who has a physical disability that's really focused on in Disney movies and how his dad is treating him one way because of it and how he really wants to be seen as fully capable and that he doesn't let this uh, disabled fin hold him back, whereas his dad kind of wants to keep him in this limited sick role and really maybe baby him a little bit, keep him safe, and do things for him. Nemo has definitely been taught to grow up in fear. That is very much um, Marlon's kind of general state of mind is fear. And it's interesting, right, because we see because of that how Nemo has reacted and Nemo has kind of taken the other side and has become fearless and wants to prove how brave he is. And of course, when he does that, he gets kidnapped and he's brought into the human world. Doesn't think he's going to survive, I'm sure. Is put into the tank at a dentist's office. He then watches as he thinks he's going to be killed by Darla because she's, you know, killed other fish in the past. And then he almost dies trying to escape the first time. Um, and then finally gets free at the end. Again, I'm not going to go into the whole movie. And certainly if we were talking about Marlon's experiences, I mean, if they were adult adverse experiences, that's not necessarily a thing. But if we were to count that, Marlon's would be really, really high. So poor Marlon has uh, definitely been through some stuff. But Nemo has an ACES score of seven. Next is Frozen. So Frozen came out in 2013. And for this movie, we're going to talk about for both Anna and Elsa because honestly, I don't even know which one had it worse growing up, right? They both lost both of their parents in a really traumatic accident. But before that, Anna grew up thinking that Elsa hates her and that it's her fault. While Elsa grew up knowing that she's different, knowing that she has these magical powers, feeling like her parents' death is her fault, which Anna might have felt as well, but Elsa had reason to feel that way. Um, and that knowing that she has to be isolated from Anna to keep her safe. So for Anna, she's sitting there thinking that, you know, Elsa just doesn't want to make a snowman with her, where Elsa is probably thinking, all I want to do is build a snowman with you, but I can't. I have to keep myself isolated. So again, they each are experiencing a lot of trauma, different trauma, but again, speaks to how trauma within a family system is very reciprocal. And, you know, again, for me as a family therapist, I'm always looking from that systemic perspective because we don't exist in isolation. We exist within the systems that we are a part of. And so we see this a lot with Anna and Elsa's trauma. There are definitely moments throughout the first movie. Again, we're only looking at the first movie here. There are definitely moments in the first movie where Anna thinks that she might die a few different points um, in her journey to try to save Elsa. And then spoiler alert, she does die basically at the end of the movie and then is saved because of her own act of true love. 
Elsa, on the other hand, also definitely thinks she's going to die at least a few times throughout that first movie, especially when Hans and his men come to capture her. And then she thinks she's responsible for the death of her sister. So again, it really is a toss-up, in my opinion, on who has more quote-unquote trauma here. But when we actually break it down by ACES score, Anna had an ACES score of 5, and Elsa had an ACES score of 7. All right, so moving into our 10th and final movie here. It's Encanto. It came out in 2021. This movie definitely focuses on that ancestral trauma and how that is still a really dominant narrative for the whole family and how a lot of their actions are motivated by that, primarily run through Abuela and the way that she is kind of pushing everyone to play a certain role in the family, which of course means that Mirabelle kind of doesn't have a role. Her role is to almost not be a part of the family. And we see this a lot as they are preparing for Antonio's gift ceremony that Abuela is basically saying, you know, just, just stay out of the way. Don't, you know, don't, don't be a part of this, which of course is the exact opposite of what Mirabel wants. All Mirabel wants is to take care of her family, be there for her family, make your family proud, right? That's all she wants. So definitely seeing how that trauma for Mirabel as her not having a gift, right? The, the trauma in and of itself of not getting the gift when everyone's watching from the town, but then also being treated differently by Abuela over and over again because of it. And then, of course, also seeing that they have Bruno, a family member who is estranged and has been ostracized. And I'm sure for Mirabelle, she's already feeling different. She's feeling like she has nothing to contribute. She is probably living in fear of at any minute they could kick me out like they kicked Bruno out. So that sort of fear kind of lives with you and continues to traumatize you over and over again. And honestly, if you watch from this lens, there are a lot of kind of verbal microaggressions from Abuela and some of the other characters, but primarily from Abuela about Mirabel not having a gift. So she is just constantly being reminded of what she feels she lacks. So Mirabel has an ACES score of four. Um, and again, I'm hopeful that I will probably do an episode at some point on ancestral and generational trauma and really dive deeper into this because there is a lot to unpack here. So overall, which Disney character has the most aces? It should come as no surprise. It's Bambi. Bambi had an aces score of eight. Not doing so hot, right? And probably, in my opinion, should have waited a little bit to have babies, uh, maybe gone to deer therapy if that was an option to work through some of this. Because again, you know, if you're looking at this from a systems perspective, there's a good chance that Bambi is going to pass on some of that trauma to his babies. And the way that that happens is primarily in well, it happens in a few different ways. I say primarily, and then, of course, I, I think of other, other other ways that it happens. But the first way that I was going to say is in the stories that we tell. And so we are constantly telling certain stories about what life is like for us, you know, how we respond to life, all of these narratives. And we then raise our children, our nieces and nephews, the young people in our lives based on these stories and based on our worldview. And so if you have trauma that you haven't worked through and shifted those stories to no longer include that trauma from a place of being a victim, you're very likely to then teach, you know, your children or again, whoever the young people in your life that you are helping to raise, you're likely to teach them from that traumatized worldview. The other way that comes to mind that trauma greatly affects not only you, but then the youth that you are helping to raise 
or maybe even working with if you are a therapist, a social worker, etc., teachers, <laughs> nurses, um, is in your body. And so trauma, we, we see this a little bit now, and I think there's finally starting to be a little bit more talk about this, but the way that trauma does not only live in our mind and in our memory. And so trauma, the way that trauma is encoded into the brain and body is that it's encoded in a really sensory way. So again, because in these moments we think we're not going to survive, our body shifts into either fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. And when that happens, that physiological shift almost tells the brain and body that this experience is not like our normal experiences. And so we then get through that experience, we survive, and then it gets encoded both into our memory and throughout our body, typically in parts of our body that were involved in the experience. So for example, if there was a certain smell or a taste or certain things that we could hear while the trauma was occurring, those could become triggers. And the next time that we smell or see or hear those things, it can reactivate that trauma energy that was stored in the body. And so in terms of ancestral or generational trauma, again, if we have that trauma energy stored in our body, we haven't done the work to work through it and release it and process it and to allow ourselves to become resilient from it we are more likely to not only tell our children's stories from this kind of traumatized worldview, but to have trouble regulating ourselves and keep ourselves calm, calm, cool, and collected, if you will, when certain things occur that remind us of our own trauma. And so this is why it's so important to be doing our own work to understand ourselves and our triggers and the things that are going to activate our system so that when we get activated by our children, because of course that's what happens. I say that as someone who doesn't have my own children, but when I'm babysitting, when I'm with my younger brothers, whoever it is, it happens, right? Children can be super activating for our nervous systems. And if you haven't done that work, you're more likely to respond in a way that will exacerbate that trauma or make that child experience trauma that's maybe not exactly the trauma you did but that's where we have that cyclical process right sort of similar to Anna and Elsa having like two sides to the same coin it's like the children that can tell that we are not regulated through the experience but we don't acknowledge it or we don't know how to talk about it they then learn that that's how they should be responding to trauma in their own lives and that's how that cycle just kind of repeats and repeats and repeats the last thing that I want to mention on this is talk a little bit about Nemo, right? So we had Bambi had a score of eight, but we had a lot of characters that have a score of seven. And yet Nemo, while he has a score of seven, feels pretty well adjusted, feels super resilient. I mean, he gets kidnapped, ends up in this fish tank and still ends up being the one to not only save himself, but save all of those fish from that tank. So Speaking about resilience, I think is really, really important when you talk about trauma because trauma can be really heavy to talk about. It can bring people back to the memories and time and place of their own trauma. And so to recognize that no matter what trauma you've been through, the stories that you tell around that trauma and the way that you learn to regulate your body while you do the work around your trauma and while you become reactivated it really can completely change the outcome of your life in terms of how you let that trauma affect you. So I know not everyone loves this idea of seeing themselves as a survivor of trauma, but if you think about it as moving from a place of being a victim toward moving into a place of being a survivor, 
you move from this thing holding, you know, a cloud over your head and everything seeming, you know, to have this gray lining around it because of your trauma into a space where you recognize that while you didn't deserve the pain that you've been through, you learned from it and somehow it made you stronger. And now you have become the better version of yourself because of that. And you can then go help other people who are in similar situations, whether it's with your story or whether you are working with them in some other way. When you move into that space of seeing yourself as a survivor, it it just opens all these doors. All of a sudden, the experiences that you had no longer have that gray lining, but they have that silver lining. And you're able to see how they actually maybe helped you get to where you are. Again, not saying that you deserve them, not saying that if you could go back in time, you wouldn't have them not happen, but you can choose to do something with it in a way that actually helps yourself and others. And so that's why I love kind of ending talking about Nemo because that really seems like what he did, right? It's like he realized the trauma of his dad. And while he fully acknowledged it, he saw that his, you know, he knows that his dad had to watch his mom and all of his siblings get killed. And there's hope on the other side. I hope you enjoyed this quick little dive into childhood trauma and, you know, trauma in general. We'll definitely be talking more about trauma into season two. We're going to have a few more episodes in season one. Again, I'm really just kind of going with the flow and seeing what comes through. So there might only be one more. I'm guessing there will be a few more before we break a bit before season two. So if you have ideas, if you want to be on the podcast, as always, please reach out to me. You can get me on social media. I'm on Instagram as spiritually underscore ever after. I'm spiritually ever after on TikTok. Or you can shoot us an email at spiritually ever after podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to know if you want to be on the podcast or if you have ideas, or even if you just want to reflect, let us know what you really enjoyed about this first season, what you want to see more of. We would just love to hear from you. So with that, I will see you real soon. Thank you for being here and listening. If you loved it, leave a review and or share and tag me. I would love to connect with you. I'm spiritually underscore ever after on Instagram and spiritually ever after on TikTok. See you real soon.